1: Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz, on this edition of our podcast. I caught up with North Carolina freshman point guard Cole Anthony. He's certainly taking college basketball by storm. Uh, has had a phenomenal start to his freshman season, and the Tar Heels are off to... What well, looks like they're going to be challenging for the ACC regular season title. Uh, potential Final Four run. And a lot of that has to do with Cole Anthony. Mike White, the head coach of Florida. Look, I had the Gators as a Final Four team. They've already dropped two games. At home to Florida State at UConn. I was with him on Sunday afternoon in Storrs, Connecticut. Caught up with them after discussing what is wrong with the Gators. It's a Final Four team. A team that we thought could win the SEC. Kerry Blackshear, SEC Preseason Player of the Year. So we'll discuss that. Don McLean, former UCLA player, former Clippers player, current Clippers announcer, and to our purposes, Pac-12 network announcer. On the Pac-12, the much maligned Pac-12 is off to a great start. We're going to break it down with Don McLean. All right, before we get to my headlines for the week, new power 36 is up. It doesn't match the AP poll at the top because I have Michigan State number one. yes. They lost to Kentucky on opening night. Kentucky lost to Evansville. But Michigan State beat Seton Hall on the road. Miles Powell had 37 for Seton Hall. No team last week had a better win on the road. Duke playing great. I got him at number two. They beat Georgia State at home. Michigan State had a better win. So bring it on. Challenge me. I'm okay with that. Right now, Michigan State, number one team in the country. And I am fine with that. And you know what? They're going to settle on the court. If Duke can win the 2K Classic in New York and beat Georgetown or Texas, they'll be number one or two the following week when they play in East Lansing. If Michigan State can win the Maui Invitational, they'll be one or two. And we could have one versus two. I'll be there for March Madness. It's the ACC Big Ten Challenge in East Lansing. Epic matchup. Regardless, they're one or two. It's going to be a great game. So check all that out at ncw.com and March Madness on our social media um, handles. All right, let's go. First headline, here of the week. Maxie, on the way for the tie, and it comes up short. What a win by
2: Evansville. Incredible job done by Walter McCarty and his staff, and credit goes to the Purple Aces. A program-changing upset.
1: Evansville. Evansville goes into Kentucky and beats Kentucky. The number one team in the country. Walter McCarty played at Kentucky and he goes in with the purple aces and beats Kentucky. That may go down as one of the best wins of the year. And it who knows if Evansville can be a factor in the Valley, finish one or two, doesn't win the Valley tournament, that's gonna help him get in the NCAA tournament. Yes, in year two for Walter McCarty. They already beat Ball States, good win for them at their level. Gonna win it against Kentucky. Pretty good. Talk to Walter McCarty. Look it up right after on the bus. It's what we do at March Madness. We get you the big moments right after. All right. Headline number two.
3: Michigan State with a big road win. let defeat the Pirates 76-73.
4: What a ball game at this time of year.
1: All right. Well, I laid, I, I, I teased this, okay? The second best thing last week. Michigan State goes into Seton Hall. Epic matchup. The emotion, obviously. We talked about this last week. This is going to be an ongoing storyline. The horrific tragedy that Cassius Winston and his family are going through. The death of his brother, Zachary. It's horrible. And there's no words. It's horrible. And yet, he consistently has shown up with his family's blessing and has played well for Michigan State. He played very well in that game. They go into Seton Hall. Crazy atmosphere. Packed house in Newark. Powell drops 37. 37. And there you go, and Malik Hall, freshman, off the bench, 17 points, 7-7. Pretty good. All right, third headline. UConn with a
0: big 62-59 win over the Florida Gators.
1: It's the Florida Gators. Okay, and we're going to talk to Mike White later in the show. They were a Final Four team for many of us in the prediction business. I was not alone. One or two in the SEC. They do not look good right now. They're not shooting the basketball well. Kerry Blackshear is not dominating the way an SEC player of the year. I mean, right now you go to Reggie Perry before him from Mississippi State. Uh, Scotty Lewis looks tentative. First half against UConn, he shoots an air ball. Three air ball. Noah Locke, not consistent right now. Andrew Nemhard not consistent. Uh, In this game against UConn, Trey Mann got a concussion. They're bigs next to Blackshear. They're still rotating, figuring it all out. Uh, Kenyatta Johnson, you know, decision making. So we'll hear from Mike White. But that's the third headline that a Final Four team loses two games already, and we're not even at Thanksgiving. Uh, Final Four predicted team. The only other team in the preseason top 25 that had two losses as of here this week in November was Purdue. But Purdue, we didn't know what we're going to get. So those are your top three headlines for this week on March Madness 365. (laughs) And now join me here on March Madness 365, Cole Anthony, the super North Carolina freshman point guard, uh, who was our first national player of the week for the way he played in the first couple of games. Uh, North Carolina uh, knocking off Notre Dame to open the ACC and then in their second game on the road against Wilmington. A stellar first week for Cole Anthony. And and Cole, uh, making this transition from high school to college basketball, what's been the most challenging part? of this jump?
3: Um, I'd say the most challenging part just has to be probably the load, just of like how much you're practicing. And then after a game, you're practicing again the next day. I mean, it's just, you don't get as many days off. So, I mean, that, and then also just in games, just choosing your spots, just learning like where you can get easy baskets and just picking all your spots better. When you make a decision
1: to go to a place like North Carolina, obviously you hope, anticipate that you're going to have an impact. And sometimes it works out, and sometimes it may take a little bit more time. Why do you think here, just, I know we're, it's a marathon, but we're just at the beginning of the season. Why do you think that transition has worked out so well here so soon?
3: Well, I mean, obviously, I think it's still very early in the season, so I, we, we can't tell yet if it's really worked out. But in these first couple games, I mean, I've just felt like I've done what my team is needed. And, I mean, There's obviously, we don't have many, we don't have another really real point guard on the team. So just being able to have the ball in my hands, I think that's probably what's really allowed it to work out so well in the beginning. How did Coach Williams empower you from the beginning? Um, He just really just imbued me with a lot of confidence. Just pretty much told me that he wasn't going to give me the keys. I was going to have to work for them. So, I mean, me being, I, I love the work, so. So, me and him have been a pretty good relationship so far. Yeah, the system seems like it's
1: ready-made for you because you can push the ball, you can get to the rim. During your process, how did you see it? How did you see that North Carolina and the way they play fit you?
3: Um, well, me, I just love the run, and I also love the rebound. So, when you combine me being able to rebound the ball and eliminating that pass from the big to the guard and with how Carolina likes to play, I mean, they, they go together pretty well. So, being able to rebound and push – it's been—I mean—it's a dream. You can't ask for a better situation in college for me coming into college.
1: I mean, obviously, you know about your dad's career. I'm sure you've watched—you know—countless clips from when he was at UNLV, NBA player. In, in what way did he help you prepare? Prepare you for this moment?
3: Um, he just told me just to um really just enjoy the moment. That's the one thing he stressed. Because I mean, if you really if you don't focus on moments like these, which is a once in life opportunity to go play college basketball. I mean, they can pass you up extremely quickly. So I've really just been focusing on every single day, taking it a day at a time, and just loving the process.
1: You know, there's a lot of – I mean, there's pressure. There's no question about it. And and this generation of NBA players who played in the 90s, uh, their kids now are, you know, your age, your peers, and, you know, they're having success. How have you balanced that, that to try to be your own person while also knowing that there's an expectation because you've got the Anthony name.
3: I really just don't even really focus on my last name. Just, I really focus on being the best individual I can be because day, me and my dad, we're two different people. So the one thing I try to do is I try to build a really good public image of the Anthony name and also just really enjoy being a kid at the same time, being in college.
1: Carolina Duke rivalry we'll get to that obviously later in the season, but it, it, you can't ignore it. Uh, when you come to a place like Carolina or Duke, how much are you looking forward when you get to that point in the season to, to everything that, 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 that involves?
3: I am looking forward to those. I mean, those are probably, I've been told those are like two of the most watched games in the country every year because we play them twice. But honestly, right now at this point, I'm taking every game, one game at a time. I'm focusing on the next game at has. So I'm not, I'm not trying to look too far into the future because these other games could pass me up in a second. Cole, you guys have a young team
1: or a team that's not been together because there's some other newcomers that are older guys but newcomers. Yeah. And you're just a freshman. So how have you been able to build that trust with your teammates here this early in the season to basically win games when you know you guys haven't been together for that long?
3: Um, it's just a matter of show, really showing that I'm here for them. Like, and that means coming to practice every day, not taking days off, working as hard as possible, and just really just showing that I'm not playing for myself, I'm playing for the team. So putting the team first, that's one thing I think everyone has done a really good job of. I mean, we all have our individual goals, but at the end of the day, the, the team goals are going to take, take prejudice over those. So everyone on the team has just done a really good job of putting the team first. So I'm super proud of the guys, but there's still a lot of work left to be done.
1: And lastly, Cole, you know, this season so far, uh, your classmates have obviously had, you know, pretty big impact, you know, just a couple weeks into the college basketball season. You played with these guys in all-star games, you know, the summer circuit. W- what have you thought about y- your fellow freshmen so far?
3: Um, I, I honestly, I hope they can all kill it this year. I want the 2019 class to be uh, remembered. So, I mean, I wish them all nothing but the best and I'll be watching them. So that's really like I said. say. Cole, it's a pleasure talking to you. I know we're going to talk throughout the course of the season. You're off to a great
1: start. Uh, keep it up. Thanks for joining me. Yes, thank you. And now joining me here, March Madness 365, Don McLean from the Pac-12 Network, as well as a broadcaster with the LA Clippers. Uh, you know him well from his NBA career and uh, his uh, time at UCLA. And Don, uh, the much maligned Pac-12 uh, is off to a great start you know the the overall the the conference is doing quite well especially like a team like even Cal completely rebuilding we thought with the head coach Mark Fox in his first year and they're off to a 3-0 start beating a pretty good Pepperdine team and and taking down UNLV what's your first overall assessment of the pack?
4: Obviously every year is different and it's cyclical and it's no secret that last year and even the year before weren't great for the league and you know, I think first getting three new head coaches in the league kind of gave it a jolt and they're doing well early, which is great to see. Um, And I also think Andy, the motivation of the last couple of years of the league being down, did coaches, you know, really looked around and, and said, you know what, we, we need to be better. And I think that recruiting has been really good the last couple of years. And now you're starting to see that with guys, you know, getting a year under their belt, year or two under their belt. Um, and I think that, you know, at Media Day and talking to all these coaches, Andy, I really got the sense that coaches like their teams better this year. That Not that they hated their teams last year or the year before, but they just they feel better about it. And I think that the transfer portal, and we could talk for an hour about that, but I do think that the transfer portal, you could argue, makes it too easy for kids to transfer now. But I also think one one aspect of the portal that's interesting is, It makes it easier for coaches and players to mutually part ways as well. And I think some of these coaches, are more so than ever that I've heard, are understanding that the locker room is really important and that, yes, you want the best talent, but if you have talented kids that aren't a good part of your locker room, it's not going to lead to success. And so I just think overall the coaches liking their teams better this year, having better locker rooms has gotten them off to a really good start. So let's
0: start
1: with Arizona. They had a down year last year. Forget all the, you know, the sort of the shadows swirling around them because that's irrelevant to to what's going on on the court right now. Mm-hmm. And they got better players. I mean, you know, I thought the addition, talking about transfers, Max Hazard, uh, great addition, led Irvine to win over K-State in the NCAA tournament. And uh, their freshman, Zeke Nanji's off to a phenomenal start. Nico Mannion, you know, those two just right off the, I mean, and the whole class is doing great but especially those two, and, and you did their Illinois game, which I watched, what an atmosphere. I mean, that, that first half felt like, I wouldn't say it was like the Arizona-Illinois game in the NCAA tournament years ago in, I think, 05, but, I mean, it was a great atmosphere just coming through, just watching it. Uh, what were your impressions of seeing them firsthand?
4: Well, it was it was like the Arizona of old, and I said right off the top, you know, I've been there as a player in electric atmospheres. I've been there in the past as a broadcaster, electric atmospheres, and I knew that it was going to be like that. And, and I think Arizona's a great example, Andy, of kind of the overall league. It's like they have these, these really good freshmen and Najee, Mannion and Green, but they also have some guys that have been there for a few years that know, you know, how Sean wants things done. And so you put those two together, And you have much, much better teams. And I think for Arizona, you add the talent level of those three freshmen. Then you got Chase Jeter back. You mentioned Hazard. Dylan Smith is back. You got guys that have been there. And all of a sudden, you got a really good team. Whereas the year before, you had guys leaving. You had guys leaving midseason. It just never worked. And so you have to give our coaches credit in the league for understanding where they were at what they needed to do and kind of fixing it. And I think Arizona is a perfect example of that. And that game against Illinois was a, was a terrific example of that example in the sense that you got a Big Ten team coming in that's supposed to be pretty good this year, and Arizona just took them out. Whereas maybe last year that game goes the other way just because. But this year they handled them pretty easily. And I think, for our conference, Andy, nationally, perception matters, and I think the biggest thing that we're doing, and I don't think you need to have a bunch of monster wins, our teams. What we have to do is eliminate the bad losses, and that, to me, is the biggest thing right now that all our teams are eliminating bad losses, which they had some of last year in November.
1: Well, one program that you know consistently had been doing that, you know, is your alma mater uh yes. and they're not here at the beginning. I mean, it's early. The expectations are lower for Mick Cronin's crew because they're so young. But I, I think UCLA is a good example of that. These games that they've been playing early, we've seen it for years. Yeah. They would drop one of those games against a school from in state, especially that they shouldn't. And that's the kind of thing the league can't continue to do. And so far, early, you're right. That hasn't been happening.
4: Right. And I think Mick's going to do a really good job. And, you know, like any first year coach, it's not going to be perfect. But. What he's done is set the tone for how he wants things done. He wants all his players accountable. You can see on the defensive end already what are they three games in, how much better they are defensively. And I think when you're better defensively, you can hang your hat on that and you eliminate losing to lesser teams because if the ball ain't going in, what do you do? But if you're sound defensively and the ball's not going in, you can still find a way – to grind out games. And, you know, they lost to Belmont last year. I think there was a couple others and I just don't see that happening because of, they have a lot of depth, UCLA. They don't have any real standout offensive players, but I think they'll do it by committee on the offensive end. But again, what's really, really stands out is, is just that they're night and day defensively better than last year.
1: Oregon, uh, you know, they got Peyton Pritchard back. Uh, Anthony Mathis, the transfer to New Mexico. They just knocked off Memphis, which was playing with James Weissman in that game. Uh, you know, they're looking the part, like they're going to be a team that's going to be in contention for the Pac-12.
4: And not only that, Andy, Dana can really coach. I mean, he's proven it year after year. I mean, this guy gets basically a brand new roster every year. Some years it doesn't go as great early this year. It's off to a better start, but by February, nobody wants to play Oregon. We say it every year. And Last year, they look like they were dead to rights in in February and all of a sudden they catch fire. They win the PAC 12 tournament, they go to the sweet 16. So now you look at Dana's roster and you're saying, well, you know, they've already kind of put it together. They got a good win against Memphis. Now what in February, what are they going to look like in February? And if they get Dante back in December, I mean, they're looking, they will be, if things go, how they normally go with Dana, by February, they will be looking like a Final Four team.
1: I'll tell you one that I, I'm really intrigued by early, and that's USC. You mm-hmm. know, Onyek, Onyekwe Kwangwu. If I'm saying that right,
4: you know, he's off great start.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Say that 10 know, and, fast. and Nick, and Nick is playing well too. I mean, they're a team that that is not getting a national pub yet, but uh, I mean, they're they're one that has the look certainly of being a team that should be in the tournament
4: you know that's they're they're one of the the prime examples of what i was saying earlier and, and and it wasn't one guy it was just they didn't love their team last year and this year they really liked their team mobley okongwu anderson these freshmen have really injected a bunch of life into that program and their practices were better in the preseason their spirits better there's great energy and i think that matters so much in, in any level of sports and in, 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 especially in college basketball. And so I think with that injection of life that they have, plus some pretty good players that have already been there and Rakosevich and jo- Jonah Matthews, like they're a really good team. And again, they're not looking like they're going to drop any of these early games like they've done, like a lot of our teams the last couple of years to win at Nevada. I know Nevada's not the greatest this year, but it's still a true road game and they were able to win that. So, again, another another program that underachieved last year but has completely spun it around this year and looked really good.
1: All right, so I'm going to just keep peppering you here because there's so many teams I think we could go and discuss, but the others I just want to hear quick opinions on. First, Washington, great comeback against Baylor, loaded with freshman talent, did lose to Tennessee and Toronto, but I think they're going to be right there. What are your
4: thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the talent level is off the charts. I was there on Tuesday, Andy. They look like an NBA team warming up with their size and their length. And I think because of you know their two main guys being freshmen, they may take a few lumps here early. But with their length and their talent level in that Hopkins zone, there's no doubt that by March they're going to be in the thick of things in the Pac-12. All
1: right, Colorado expectations. Can they meet them?
4: Yeah, I do. I, I think so. And I think I think so because of McKinley Wright. And just from day one, he's been the leader of that program because of his personality and his disposition. And he just brings so much to the table. And, yeah, there is expectations. But I think when you have a true point guard, a true leader like him, um, you know, to keep your locker room in order, to keep everybody managed, Tad does a great job. I just think that when you bring 95% of your production back and you have that many veteran players, you got a chance and Colorado certainly has a chance in the pack this year.
1: How about Arizona state lost Colorado in a quote, non-conference game in China, Remy Martin back, you know, can we see them back in, in sort of a, a ish kind of position where they're back maybe in Dayton again?
4: I, I, I think there's no doubt. They're going to be in the running for an NCAA tournament, but I did two of their games last week. They're different. You know, Dorton Cheatham gave them so much on the defensive end, but Jalen house his freshman point guard, Eddie's son is really good on the ball and, and they're, they're, they're going to play like Bobby plays. They're going to get after you defensively. I think for them, they're going to be a little small. Rebounding going to be somewhat of an issue. But when you have veteran guards and then another team with veteran guards, Remy Martin and Rob Edwards, you know, in, in a perfect combination, by the way, Martin can't stay in front of them off the bounce. Edwards, probably the best catch and shoot guy in the league. They're going to give you a chance. I liked liked what I saw from Arizona State this week.
1: All right. Last two I'm curious from you. Utah puts 143 points. I know it was Mississippi (laughs) Valley State, but still, I don't care who you are. It's a lot of points. What are your thoughts on the Utes?
4: You know, I – They have so many new players, Andy, that I need to see it myself. I see the scores, and it's great. It's great that they're winning. And Larry, like Dana, in a sense, he he has some roster turnover, and he has to figure it out with all these new players. And I'm a little surprised they're doing so well so early. But that's a credit to Larry and his staff. Hopefully they can keep it going. And I think they will. Listen, when you're adding new players, usually you take some lumps early to get better later. So a really good sign for Utah that they're winning here early and so hopefully they can keep it going.
1: And the last one is Oregon State. You know, a lot of expectations with Trace Tinkle. They did beat Iowa State at home, which I think will be a proof to be a shelf life, you know, win that they'll they'll have going forward. Yep. Uh, not able to beat Oklahoma, which, you know, clearly is maybe a little bit better than I think a lot of us thought. Uh, and that game was in Portland. Uh, what do you think of the Beavers?
4: I think when you have arguably the best player in the league, you got a chance. I think it's going to be important for Wayne to to establish roles on that team around Trace. I think Ethan Thompson now is stepping into a bigger role with Stevie, his brother gone. Um, I think when you're again, another team that's adding a bunch of new uh, rotation players, they, they have to understand their roles and that's up to Wayne and his staff. I think they will. But again, when you got a guy that's going to get 20 and 10 every night. I think you have a chance to win. The interesting part will be, you know, what other teams do with Trace. Do you try and take him out and let the other guys beat you? Or do you play it straight up? That that to me will be fascinating to watch as Oregon State goes along.
1: Well, Don, I appreciate it. I think this is going to be a great year for the Pac-12. And, you know, you get the feeling that like 10 teams right now feel like they have a shot at the tournament. Which I don't no think doubt. you could have said, you know, a couple of years ago.
4: No, and you know what's great about it, Andy, is we always think that when you're getting ready for the season. But, you know, it looks like it's going to be a better year, but you just don't know. And I think even though it's a small sample size, it's obvious to me already that it's going to be a much better year. And it is just going to come down to, you know, how many teams we can get in the N C tournament. But I, it looks, again, it's early, but it looks like it's going to be even more than what people thought before the season started.
1: Yeah, just keep doing what they're doing, which is not drop the games like you said that they shouldn't lose in November, December, and pluck off some of the kind of wins that they've already got. You know, beating an Iowa State and and, and taking right. down a Baylor. And, you know, s- games like that are ultimately going to help the overall league uh, power rating. No doubt. Thanks, Don.
0: All right, Andy, thanks.
1: It's time for Cats Ranks, top 10 of the week. Here we go. Andy Katz. That guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Checking in at number 10, Belmont. Yes, one of the darlings from last season's NCAA tournament, the Belmont Bruins, Adam Kunkel. He dropped 35 at BC, and BC had been playing well, by the way. They were undefeated. So he goes on the road, and Belmont scores 100 points, 15-point win. He scores 35. At number nine...
0: Floater up, no good, and it's over! Winthrop shocks number 18, St. Mary's!
1: Winthrop and Pat Kelsey stun St. Mary's in Moraga. This is a St. Mary's team, top 25 team, goes to South Dakota and knocks off Wisconsin in overtime. That's number nine for me. At number eight, West Virginia freshman Oscar Shabway. He blitzed Pitt with 20 points and 17 boards. Big-time high school All-American. Listen, the you know, this is not the big O. That's Oscar Robertson. But an O that they're going to remember this season in Morgantown is going to make a name for himself. They're going to be a fact in the Big 12 because of him. At number seven, yes, we can acknowledge even if a team doesn't win. Seton Hall's Miles Powell scores 37 on a bum ankle in a loss to Michigan State. It was quite a performance by Powell. At number six, got to love this at VCU. You leave and you want to get out of your contract, we put in your contract that you got to play us. It's happened before, it happened with Shaka Smart in Texas. Will Wade at LSU, he's got to go back to VCU. He goes back and VCU beats Will Wade, former head coach and LSU by two in Richmond. That is a shelf life win for the Rams. At number five, Ohio State just rocks Villanova by 25. Buckeyes looked, like, really good in that game. DJ Carton, steady, steady hand at the point. Phenomenal game for DJ Carton. At number four, Vermont's Anthony Lamb beats the buzzer at St. John's in the final seconds, and the Catamounts remain undefeated heading into Virginia. At number three. Here's TJ Hawes against Grimes. Final seconds falling away. Oh, off the bounce. Hawes connects. BYU wins it. That's right. That's TJ Hawes hitting a buzzer beater to knock off Houston. That's a shelf life win for the Cougars as they head off to the Maui Invitational without Yoli Childs. First nine games without Yoli Childs. Huge win at Houston. At number two. That's right. Michigan State freshman Malik Hall comes off the bench to score 17 in Michigan State's win over Seton Hall for our National Player of the Week. And the number one on my top ten of the week, you heard it earlier in the podcast, Evansville. The Purple Aces, a couple hours down the road, they shock number one Kentucky in Rupp Arena. And that is your Cats Ranks Top Ten. And now joining me, Florida head coach Mike White and Mike, if you could pinpoint what has been the biggest issue so far for this team in dropping these two games so far and and playing that close game against Towson, what is it?
2: Struggling to score, for the most part, making jump shots, making jump shots. I mean, this this we were a jump shot making team the last couple of years, starving for interior scoring. We're getting more interior scoring than we've ever gotten, and uh, and we're struggling to shoot it from the field, uh, from, especially from behind the arc. I mean shot selection I think is, is probably some of it uh, but I do think we've had a lot of quality looks in, 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 this early in the season collectively over these four games that uh, we're just we're not converting like we do in practice. I, I really feel like we'll break through. I, I, we've got a couple big time shooters and, and Trey Mann and, and Noah Locke and they're bound to break through at some point here real soon.
1: You know in this game against UConn You know, Scotty Lewis kind of tailed two halves. There was that one stretch in the second half where he hit back-to-back shots, looked assertive. Mm -hmm. First half, very tentative, wide open three, goes wide right. What are you dealing with him in terms of Mm -hmm. his confidence as a shooter? Because he came in, you know, obviously so hyped.
2: Yeah, well, you know, he's, Scotty's always been kind of a, um, a, a versatile, multi dimensional player, high level defender, very, very high ceiling, competitive intensity guy. You know, he's never been a guy that you, you go see a, in AU game and he hits nine threes. That's, that's, he's a developing shooter and, and, uh, and skill level guy and he's working hard and, uh, he hit a couple big threes for us to help us win that game against Towson in the second. It was a huge sign for him. Uh, but we haven't asked him to step up and he hit a bunch of threes either. He's just—he's taking what the defense gives him. He's got to shoot a, a good percentage. He's got to take great shots. We don't have a bunch of veterans. Obviously, we played—you know—we played a senior and we played one junior today. But but we've got our sophomores have got to step up with confidence. Uh, and our freshman talented scores have got to step up with confidence. And I've, I've got to do a better. job. I I've got to figure out a way to get this this group going offensively. We were terrific offensively yesterday in practice. It'll get to the point where it translates to a game, I hope, sooner or later.
1: Kerry Blackshear comes in, obviously, as sort of that missing piece. Maybe that was on us. Maybe we hyped it too much. Yeah. You know, help Virginia Tech get to the Sweet 16 Preseason SEC Player of the Year. Fouls out in this game against UConn. What does
2: he need to do a little bit more in terms of maybe being a little bit more consistent or maybe more demonstrative? Well, he's still finding his way. He's still learning his teammates. All these guys are learning each other. I mean, we're, we're sitting here four games into a season where we're playing one senior, and he's brand new this was the first game we actually put a junior in the game because they've both been hurt and our other two juniors are sit out transfers we've got three sophomores that did their share of winning late last season but we went through some real struggles especially the first two thirds of last season and those three sophomores were freshmen then and then we're relying upon five freshmen who've got to find their way and all these guys are learning each other KJ's got to continue to lead he's been our most consistent guy though he has you know Andrew Nembhard would be probably number two I like the way he finished the game tonight KJ, he's got to play with more poise. He's got to play like he's a dang 30-year-old because he's our only senior. And um, every day, every second of every game, he's got to play with incredible poise and intelligence and maturity for us to have any chance.
1: How did this team embrace the expectations of being a potential Final Four team, Mm -hmm. SEC champ, top 10, um, with so many young guys? I mean, when I now see you in person, I see – how many young players you are, are and essentially have to play? How do they handle all that early?
2: Well, I think you're seeing it. You know, uh, I, I can't reference any communication, conversation about it because we didn't we didn't talk about it. I simply told these guys it, it doesn't matter. I mean. Um, it doesn't matter what anyone says what anyone ranks us whatever how many stars you had by your name out of high school whatever they say about KJ whatever they say about us it doesn't that doesn't matter so uh, we're not going to pay attention to it we're not going to talk about it we're going to try to get better every day um, I have uh, honestly answered questions since last spring really since our signing class was complete are you excited about this team yeah been very excited I, I, we had a great group of guys we're more talented than we've ever been offensively we've finally got a full package we feel like you know we we can play a bunch of different ways uh when we get healthy i I like our depth but did i think we'd be great in november no no and and, you know several times in practice hey guys we're gonna take our lumps and, and this is why you know continuing to challenge our guys our staff's continuing to challenge these guys that said do we have a chance to be pretty damn good in, in january february i think so doesn't mean we're definitely going to be that good but we got a chance our freshmen and sophomores got to grow up and kj's got to play off the charts for us of course we got to stay healthy but a great group you know these guys will stay together we'll we'll get back at it in uh, in the gym tomorrow and get a little bit better and and see where the thing goes and lastly mike you know, Evansville goes in and beats Kentucky. I mean, we're seeing a
1: lot of these kinds of games early in the season. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is, that these, you know, high-profile, power five, top 10, top 15 teams get nipped here in November?
2: Well, the season's about 16 months long now. So, um, (laughs) I I mean, it's so early. And, and and heck, I mean – we may be losing these same games uh, in in February. I just I think we've got a high ceiling. I think we can continue to develop. That said, I wouldn't consider losing at UConn. Uh, you know, similar to you know, losing a, a a guarantee game at home, uh, which we almost did the other day. You know, to Towson. I mean, this this was one we knew we'd have to play really well. These guys are really talented. They do a great job. The place was absolutely rocking. Uh, this was the feel of an SEC road game, and and that's what. Uh, We've got to learn from this one. I'm not sure that we're a better team than these guys right now. You know, uh, they're good. They're good. And uh, we'll continue to get better. And hopefully we'll be we'll be better. Thanks, Mike. Thank you.
1: Coming up next here on March Madness 365, Chad Acock from Turner Sports. Play a little prediction game. How'd I do last week? How am I going to do this week? And now it's time for March Chadness. Chad Aycock from Turner Sports
0: is going to challenge me. On some predictions uh, How'd I do last week, Chad? Much better week two, Andy Six and four We gave you four picks from the Gavit games And you nailed all four of those With uh, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and Marquette Then you doubled down, double dipped uh, with Marquette uh, By predicting a Wisconsin W uh, Over Marquette in that one you did miss on Oregon State, LSU, uh, Washington, and then Andy. Now you're zero and two picking the Gators. Lucky for you, we're not asking you to pick another Florida game this week. Uh, they do play in a tournament though, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see what we're looking at there. Any, any feedback on on the Gators? Are you gonna you know you gonna shy away from the Gators going forward?
1: I am, and, and we just heard on the podcast from Mike White uh, and his analysis of this team. And you know they got some moving parts. They are going to start to s- try to fit together. Terry Blackshear, a lot of hype coming in uh, from Virginia Tech, preseason SEC player of the year. So, you know, he, they get, first of all, they're not shooting the ball well at all, and that's going to have to change. But, you know, this tournament coming up uh, is going to be interesting for them. You know, technically they actually could meet UConn again because they're on both sides of the bracket here in the Charleston Classic uh, later this week. So that could happen again, and it's a difficult tournament uh, for Florida. Missouri State's in there, which literally almost beat Xavier. Uh, St. Joe's is who Florida plays next, who, by the way, just beat UConn, you know, and UConn gave up 96 points. So I'm shying away from picking the Gators. I don't know if I should say whether or not I'm going to pick them in this tournament. We're going to get to that in a moment. Uh, Yeah, but I will say this about Marquette. You know, I I thought I was asking a lot for them to sweep a Purdue-Wisconsin week, so I felt good about that. I obviously slept on Tennessee. Great win for them in Toronto. You know, look, VCU-LSU was down to one possession, so I don't feel bad that I went with the road team there, but a great home win for L- for VCU, uh, and the eight ten actually did very well against the SEC last week. Yeah, that
0: was a big win for VCU. A lot of turnovers though in that game. It was kind of back and forth, up and down. Fun to watch though. But let's look at this week, Andy. We're going to start off with the Tuesday night matchup. Vermont checks in at number twenty nine in your Power thirty six. You're really high on the the Catamounts. They've got three road wins so far, St. Bonaventure, Bucknell, and St. John's. Can they give Virginia a tough game on the road? Yes, they can.
1: uh, But Virginia is now defending at a historic level. Not since 48-49 has a team from the ACC opened the season with three straight wins, holding teams under 50 points. So... Uh, I do think that Vermont, which relies heavily on Anthony Lamb, will have a problem scoring like everyone else. And I think this will be a low scoring game, but I like Virginia at home in Charlottesville. All right, let's move ahead to
0: Thursday, looking at the 2K Empire Classic. Texas, who checks in at number 22 in the poll against Georgetown. Andy, you've still got Georgetown ranked number 34 in your power, 36. We actually got a little bit of pushback on that ranking. The Hoyas have, you know, they lost to Penn State, and then they've kind of struggled in their wins. Why are you still kind of hanging around with with Georgetown, and do you you think they can beat Texas? Who you got in that one?
1: Well, you know, it's a good pushback, and I debated a lot on uh, Sunday night when I was putting the rankings together, and what I found was there are a lot of teams – that I could put anywhere from 32 to 40. And uh, that was a little bit of a faith. I thought they played much better in the second half of their game against Georgia State. Looked more like the team I thought they would be. And so this is a little bit of a faith pick. And with that being said, okay, we're not necessarily going to go with an upset special here, but as well as Texas is playing, and I'm really high on Texas, I'm going to go with an upset here. And I'm going to say that Georgetown gets the win it desperately needs on a neutral court, actually familiar territory for the Hoyas,
0: at Madison Square Garden, and I like the Hoyas to knock off Texas. All right, so you've got Texas checking into the poll, and then if if this prediction holds true, they'll be checking right back out. (laughs) Uh, The the nightcap of that one in New York, though, same tournament. You've got Cal, who's off to a pretty hot start in year one of the Mark Fox era, Uh, But they've got a tough task with the newly number one in the AP poll, Duke. What do you think that one turns out to be?
1: I'm going to go with Duke. Uh, Yes, Mark Fox doing a great job uh, at Cal. Good wins over Pepperdine and UNLV uh, to start the season. Um, You know, those are quality wins for them. I think more so Pepperdine than UNLV in terms of teams that could do something this year. But rarely do teams across the country coming from California fare very well when they come east. And uh, I think this is a tall
0: task for Cal. I'm going to go with Duke uh, in this one. Okay, so you've got Georgetown and Duke. That championship would then be on Friday. Who would you have in that potential matchup with Duke and Georgetown?
1: Well, I like Yurt Seven, who's got familiarity with Duke because he played at NC State. But I'm going to lean Duke here. Trey Jones is having a great start to his season at 31 uh, the other day against, uh, I believe, Georgia State. So uh, even though James Akinjo, Mac McClung, uh, I think can handle the Duke guards or compete with them. uh, I think this could be a very good game, late possession game. Second time in a row that, well, two of the last three, I don't think the Cal game would be late possession. But I think the second time in the last couple of weeks, I should say, at Madison Square Garden, the
0: Duke will have a late possession win at Madison Square Garden. Pretty safe pick there. I agree with that. Also Friday. So, Andy, we threw up on our Instagram story. We asked the fans to pick the game they most wanted you to pick this week. Uh, The results are in, and they want to know who you've got. LSU versus number 15, Utah State. Very interesting game. Great test for Utah State.
1: And I'm going to go with the veteran team here, and I'm going to put a little faith in it because LSU is going to have a ton of opportunities. You know, they're also going to play Rhode Island and Jamaica, uh, among many games that they've got coming up, which I think will end up having good value for LSU but even before they get to the SEC. Uh, you know, Look, I picked LSU to win at VCU. I'm going to go with Utah State to get the win they desperately need because they don't have a lot of opportunities over LSU.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch, see if LSU can bounce back from that loss. This is a neutral site game in the Jamaica Classic, so we'll see what they can do there. Sticking with Friday night, got another game Friday night. Houston, who, as you mentioned earlier in the catch ranks, they fell to TJ Hawes game winner to BYU. Can they bounce back at Oregon this week? No.
1: I think defensively they'll hold their own, but Oregon's playing very well. Peyton Pritchard is looking like a Pac-12 player of the year candidate. Uh, The Ducks are off to a great start. Knocked off Memphis last week, a game that I had that one right. Um, And so uh, I like Oregon (laughs) to take down Houston in uh, what should be You know, I think a very
0: entertaining game. Ducks, keep rolling. Moving along to Saturday, you've got Ole Miss at number 16, Memphis. What do you think about that one?
1: All right, so here, this is a tough call. Because as we are talking, um, you know, as of Monday afternoon, James Weissman can't play in that because, you know, he's being held out until his eligibility is determined. So with the unknown swirling, I'm going to go with Ole Miss. I like their more experienced guards led by Brian Tyree. Um, You know, I I think this is the kind of game, local rivalry, obviously Oxford Mississippi, right? You know, just across the state line from Memphis. Uh, I'm going to go with Ole Miss to beat Memphis in this one because of the unknown. So the
0: unknowns and no Weisman means no W. So Ole Miss taking it Saturday. Sunday, we see a lot of championships uh, from different tournaments that have started earlier. You know, Thursday, you get the Charleston Classic, Myrtle Beach Invitational. Let's start with the Air Force Reserve tip-off tournament, looking specifically at that Naismith bracket. Uh, you know, the first-round matchups, UVA, UMass, and then Arizona State and St. John's. But who do you like to come out on top of that tournament? Uh,
1: I like a Virginia-Arizona State final And I like Virginia, once again, locking teams down and looking like a top five team, uh, certainly because they're playing like one defensively.
0: Yeah, it feels like the obvious choice in that that field. Moving along to the Myrtle Beach Invitational, a little bit larger field. You've got Nova, you've got Middle Tennessee State, Mississippi State, Tulane, Ohio, Baylor, and Utah and Coastal Carolina. Who comes out on top?
1: So, uh, Brian Antoine, news from Jay Wright on Monday that he will be available for this game. Uh, there's a lot of expectation with him. Reggie Perry from Mississippi State could cause a lot of problems. But Villanova, which just beat Ohio, by the way, uh, after losing and getting blitzed by Ohio State. I think Vill- Villanova's been a pretty good sort of non-conference tournament team over the over the years, uh, over this recent run with Jay Wright. So I kind of like, which by the way, a Baylor-Utah game is going to be pretty good in the lower part of that bracket. But I like a Villanova-Baylor final. And in this instance... I'm going with the more experienced team. I'm going Baylor. Back to Baylor. After I picked them to beat Washington and then they didn't do it, I'm going to renew my faith in the Bears and have
0: them win this tournament at Myrtle Beach. All right, giving the Bears another chance to prove you right. We'll see about that one. Charleston Classic, another eight-team field, Missouri State, Miami, Florida, St. Joseph's, Xavier Towson, and Buffalo and Yukon. Who you got there?
1: All right. So a couple of weeks ago, there's no question that I would say Florida would win this, but I'm very, I mean, I'm basically scared to pick them uh, because they should win this tournament. They should rectify themselves, but I, I just, I don't know. I'm a little nervous to pick them. And, you know, I wonder will they not get beat by, you know, Miami or Missouri state, well, let alone St. Joe's. So I need to see more. And, even though Xavier struggled with Missouri State, there's a lot of potential rematches here in the last two weeks. Right. You know, I, I think Xavier's going to be the team that comes out of this. UConn is the dark horse here because they're going to get James Booknight. Uh, he's now off his suspension. So he comes in for this tournament. He's one of their better incoming freshman guards. He'll add a little pop to them. So I kind of like a Xavier-UConn semi, but I'm going to go with the more experienced team in Xavier to come out either against Florida who knows, either Missouri State or Miami, but I'm going to go with the Musketeers here. I'm going to put my faith in Xavier to win it.
0: Yeah, that feels like the the correct pick now. Although, you go back two, three weeks ago, and you told me Florida wouldn't even be ranked in this tournament. I'd have probably laughed at you. And I wouldn't have hesitated in this field about picking the Gators. No doubt. So, you would have still had a Florida-Xavier final in that situation. if Florida had, I guess, lived correct. up to expectations, but... Yeah, this will be a fun week. It'll it'll kind of build the hype even to a bigger uh, feast week there in Thanksgiving, where we'll we'll give you another round of questions, predictions uh, next week, Andy.
1: All right, great, Chad. As always, everyone can uh, you know hit me up, debate them, digest them. Uh, we got the Power Thirty Six uh, on March Madness and our NCAA.com platforms. Uh, of course, we've got coverage throughout the course of the week. Uh, you can hear various elements of the podcast and. And our predictions, it'll be going out on social media. Uh, you can sort of just digest them more in the in the social media form as well. Uh, I'm going to be Friday night uh, at uh, Madison Square Garden to check out uh, that potential Duke-Georgetown matchup as well. So a lot to discuss, Chad. And, uh, oh, by the way, we've got more Feast Week and the holiday tournaments the following week, which I'm certainly we'll get into with uh, the Maui Invitational and uh, the battle for Atlantis, which is going to be just a loaded field for top ten teams next week down in the Bahamas. Chad, as always, appreciate it. Uh, Check out all our stuff at ncaa.com and of course all our March Madness social media handles and as always,
3: thanks for listening to March Madness 365.